you share uh, what Jesus has done in your life and be able to do that in a very uh, practical manner. And so let's, uh, let's be able to share that together. Come and speak with me. We are in part four of this series, The Letters to the Thessalonians. And so we are going to be talking about 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But I, I wanted you to know that today I'm talking about lifestyle. And I really do want to share how our lifestyle is a witness to others. But let me start with this story. There once was a man who was in need of a job. And so he ventured out and looked for different ads and he found uh, online or on the newspaper, there was a newspaper ad that there was an opening at a local zoo. And so he, he went to the zoo and uh, inquired about this job and discovered that they had a very unusual position available. You see, um, their gorilla had died. And in the process of trying to acquire a new gorilla for, uh, uh, for their enclosure there, they thought that they would hire a man to dress up in the very best gorilla suit that they had, and that uh, if they did that, they would buy themselves some time. And so they were saying, all you have to do for this job is put on this gorilla suit, be in the enclosure, you can uh, you know, eat a little food and sleep a little, and everything will be good until we get a, a new gorilla. The man thought this was okay, and so uh, he decided to take the job, and uh, he was uh, inside the enclosure before the people came in, and then, you know, the people would come in, and they would look at him uh, being there in his gorilla suit. They could not tell that it was a man and not a gorilla. But over the course of a number of days, and uh, it, it was a boring job. I mean, he would just, he would just sit there, or lay down, pretend to sleep, and you know, sometimes a few people would throw some peanuts in. Or... And he discovered that if he, if he got up and he walked around the enclosure pretending to be a gorilla, that they threw more peanuts. And he, he liked peanuts, so in the midst of this, he, he thought, hey, I can, uh, I can put on a little show for the people here. And so he began to jump up and down a little bit and do some different things. And of course, People noticed when the gorilla was doing something, and this man was pretending uh, in a very authentic manner, and uh, he was convincing people that he was a gorilla. And so he was getting a lot of attention. The crowds were coming in, and so he, he got the idea that he was becoming quite popular. And so he would do more things. And there was a, a rope swing that was in the enclosure, and so he began to climb, and he began to swing, and people loved it. They began to throw more peanuts and clap and cheer, and he, he just thought he was the best show in the whole zoo until he was swinging on the rope, and he was going so high that he didn't realize that the rope was weak, and the rope snapped. And it snapped right at the height of his swing. He actually was swinging in such a way that he ended up in the enclosure next to him. And as he landed and was picking himself up, he was looking into the eyes of what he believed was a very hungry, hungry lion. He had fallen into the enclosure of the lion, and he began to yell, help, help, I'm not really a gorilla, I'm a man in a suit and I need some help. Quickly, the lion pounced on the man and said, you fool, shut up or we'll both be fired.
Now, who would go to a zoo where all the animals are just people dressed up in suits? Why would anybody go to something like that? In the same way, why would anyone believe a Christian that says they know God but doesn't live like it? People are looking for the real thing. And it is really part of our belief that when we say that we follow Christ, that we not only need to say the words, we need to live the life. And that's what lifestyle witness is really all about. Brendan Manning said this, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today are Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. The Apostle Paul, when he was traveling and preaching the word of God in all of these different cities, planting churches, you know, he was not preaching the gospel for the sake of tallying up the numbers of people that believed him. He wanted to make disciples. He wanted people to know who Jesus was. He wanted people to understand how they could follow Jesus for themselves. And so he was very concerned that they understand that the way that he lived was congruent with the way that, or the words that he said. Vitally important that those two things came together, and so he worked hard to make sure that he did not offend people by his lifestyle so that they would believe his words. He wanted people to know that he was going to work hard, that he was going to care for his needs, that he wasn't in it just for the money, that he could ask people to support him. And so he writes this part of the letter to the Thessalonians, and he hits on this lifestyle issue including some cultural issues specifically within sexual practice about loving your neighbor as well as about work. And so we're going to talk about some of those issues today as we read through 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 from 1 to 12. It starts this way, Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God as we have taught you. You live this way already and we encourage you you to do so even more. For you remember what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this manner by violating his wife. For the Lord avenges all such sins as we have solemnly warned you before. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God who gives, you his, or gives his Holy Spirit to you. But we need to write to you about the importance of loving each other. For, or for, let me say that again. But we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other, for God himself has taught you to love one another. 
Indeed, you already show your love for all the believers throughout Macedonia. Even so, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you to love them even more. Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live and you will not need to depend on others. Now this is important to Paul. He wanted people to live in such a way that they were not a burden to others, but they would be generous and helpful, loving and caring towards those that were around them, both in the church and in the community. And so Paul was saying to the Thessalonians that if they lived in such a way, they would please God and that other people would notice their lifestyle. And that would be a testimony to what it meant to follow the Lord. And that is what lifestyle witness is. Your life shows your faith. So vitally, vitally important. Now, as leaders within the church, we want you to be able to share your faith with your words. Of course we do. We want you to be able to tell others who Jesus is. We want you to be able to pray with others when they have a need. But you see, we definitely want your lifestyle to match your beliefs. And that is, lifestyle and message must match for effective witness. I think you can understand this, right? People want some authenticity. They want to see the real thing. And that doesn't mean that we don't struggle at times. That doesn't mean that we're perfect. It just means that what we talk about, that we are living it out. I want to look at a few issues that really arise from what Paul was telling us. Telling the Thessalonian church in this passage, and the first one is this, a call to holiness. That as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to holiness. Paul said that it is God's will for Christians to be holy. God is asking us to be godly. It, He's asking us to have the same attitude, the adherence to a godly standard. And that in doing so, that we would not only be able to enter into his presence, but we would receive his blessing within that. Now, holy means to be set apart. It it means to be different. And I need you to understand that within the early church, they were called to stand out from the people that were around them. Now, right away in in chapter 4, Paul targets this area of sexuality. And he's very blunt about it. He said, you have to live in such a way that you would uh, honor God with the way that you use your body, especially when it comes to sexual areas. And people... Uh, transgress against the Lord through sexual sin. Specifically, Paul talks about violating somebody else's wife. Now, he wasn't wasn't talking about rape. He was talking about having an affair. And the fact that there would be people that had, uh, they had no problem with going and sleeping around with whoever they wanted to. And Paul was saying, you can't do that as a Christian. That's not the way God has designed 
life to be lived, that's not what it means to be holy. Now, there are a lot of different areas of life where God calls us to holiness. But within this, Paul targets the area of sexuality because the people around them were living in a different cultural lifestyle and had a different view of sexual morals. You see, the Jews already had the commands of God and the Ten Commandments and what God had given to Moses for the people of Israel, and so they already stood out as different amongst the cultures of the world that they lived in. And so as the Christians believed that Jesus was the Messiah and that Jesus would help them, lead them through, the Holy Spirit was to live inside of those that followed Christ, then they also lived by the same standards which the Jews had learned from the very beginning. That that did not change. And so within God's commands, they believed that he had laid a foundation that sexual pleasure should be enjoyed within the bonds of marriage. And that a man and woman would come together, they would create family in the midst of that, and they would learn to help each other with their passions and desires. Now, the Greek and Roman world didn't believe that at all. And remember, Thessalonica was in Macedonia area, and they were definitely influenced not only by the Greeks, but also by the Romans. And so the Greek and Roman culture that this church was in the midst of found that there were people in their their cities that would use sexuality as a worship for other gods. There were temples that were dedicated to sexual pleasure. And so that was one part of their culture. Now, certainly not everybody that was in the culture did that, but it was an accepted part of the culture. There was all kinds of other uh, sexual pursuits. Personal pleasure was basically whatever you want to do, go ahead and do it. And Paul was saying to the church, don't live that way. Don't live the way of the pagans. You must be holy. You must come out from that and live your life in a sexual manner completely differently. He described those pursuits of pagan sexuality as lustful passions. And so, in order to keep a current and healthy relationship with God, Paul was saying, live in such a way to please God by being holy. Use your body in such a way as to be holy. Now, that brings us to the the second area that I thought needed to be addressed within what Paul was saying, and that is the struggle with immorality. You see, when people know that they are breaking a moral standard, then they are practicing immorality. That that is a sin. They're sinning against the moral code. And so if people know the, the moral code of God and they go against that, then they are considered immoral. So if someone knows that they shouldn't be having sex with their neighbor's wife and they go ahead and do it, that is an act of immorality. It's a sin. Now the early Christians knew the law of God. They knew the value of the Spirit of God leading them into holiness. 
And they knew that if they were to break that standard, that they were going to harm their relationship with God. Now, just because people sin does not mean that people cannot be forgiven. In fact, the opposite is true, right? If people know that they have sinned and come to God asking for forgiveness, the Bible says that God will indeed forgive them. And so when it came to people that had transgressed in the area of sexuality, they needed to repent. They needed to stop doing the thing that was wrong, that was breaking the law of God in that moral arena. And so Christians were to keep sex inside of the marriage relationship, and they were challenged to do so. And we are challenged to do so. Now, when Canada was formed, we were based on Christian principles. Our laws were based on Christian principles. And sometime, you know, truthfully, before the 60s, but the 60s really did emphasize it, was the fact that people wanted to go against the moral code of the Lord God Almighty. And if you look back in old movies and you look back in uh, some of the things that were said and done within our culture, then you will find that people were throwing off the Christian moral code. And that is that they were indulging in sexual immorality. Sexual affairs were happening openly and divorce rates were skyrocketing. Abortions became the desired uh, want for dealing with a pregnancy. And at one time, people knew that they were doing wrong, that they were breaking God's code, but they didn't really want to pursue a relationship with God. They wanted to pursue their sexual pleasures. And so Christians have struggled to maintain godliness in a society that has largely abandoned sexual morals. And truthfully, a lot of Christians have struggled in this area because our culture has, pro, uh, it has become more prolific, the amount of sexual sin that is displayed as good, when really God said it's not good. There's so much sexual sin on TV and the internet, books, magazines, music, you name it, you can find it. And most of the time, it finds you. And it raises the question, what do we do when we are living in a culture that has embraced sexual immorality? You know, as a believer, when we sin, we are called to repent. And so 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all wickedness. And so if you find yourself in a place where you have transgressed against God's law and that relationship with the Spirit in the area of sexuality, then you need to repent. You need to come to Him and say, God, I confess my sin. I ask You to cleanse me. Would You purify me from all wickedness? And He does forgive and He helps us in the midst of our struggle. And oh, how I wish that our culture 
was still struggling with sexual immorality. Because in the midst of people that struggle with it, then God, by His Spirit, can speak to them in the midst of that and bring them to repentance and bring them to a place of reconnecting with Him. However, I believe that I needed to talk to you this morning about a culture of idolatry. Because being forgiven when someone repents of sexual immorality is different than living in a culture of sexual idolatry. You see, when someone expresses their worldview, they are demonstrating what they believe. And that is often spoken in religious terms, even though people might say, well, I'm not religious. However, I believe these things. And they will often say things that, resu- that uh, portray what their moral code is. Which means that they actually do have religious views even if they don't want to call it that. When you have a worldview that's expressed this way, then it is an issue of faith. What you believe and what you will do. And so there are governments and authorities that make decisions based on their beliefs. Their faith. Their religious views. And when those beliefs contradict God's standards... We call those beliefs pagan. That is, they have come to be something different than the commands of the Lord God Almighty. Now, some people would actually say they serve a different God. Certainly within the Roman and Greek world, what the people of Thessalonica were dealing with, they actually had a whole bunch of different gods. And some of the ones that they were praying to and serving were about sexuality and sexual idolatry. Not all of them, but there were some that were. And certainly when a worldview exalts its practices against the standards of God and above the authority of God, we get into a place that is idolatry, that is worship. The early Christians were challenged to live counter-culture to the people that were around them. That where their culture that they lived in were raising up idols, even about sexuality as well as a number of other things, they were said, don't do that. You serve the Lord God Almighty. Stay dedicated to Him. Live a different way. And so they were challenged to live within their sexuality, within the bonds of marriage. Now, within our culture, I want you to know that in my estimation, sexual issues have now been raised to such a point of sexual idolatry. We're no longer talking about immorality within Canada. We're talking about beliefs and practices that are exalting themselves above the Lord God Almighty. And that is idolatry. When the government passed Bill C-4 about conversion therapy, the lawmakers declared that the sexual morals of God were a myth 
and not to be tolerated within our culture. They set themselves up. And it wasn't just any party. Every single legislator passed an, an agreement with that bill and they said that our country is no longer under the moral code of God Almighty. That is idolatry. And so there's been all kinds of sexual idolatry within our country. Now, I ask you this. How can we be blessed of God and ask for His help or have the Spirit come and help our country as a whole when we have raised sexuality to be an idol within our culture? When it's not only sanctioned, but promoted. You see, I want God to bless Canada. I, I love our country of Canada. But we've gone a long, long way from where the people that created the Constitution declared that God would have dominion from sea to sea. So the main point of my message is this. You know, as we live in a society that adheres to ungodly belief and action, Christians need to demonstrate a moral lifestyle to effectively share the message of God's mercy and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. We not only need to have a message that declares the grace of God and how Jesus can save us from our sin, give us eternal life, but we need to have a lifestyle that demonstrates that. And so before, earlier in the message, I said this. Lifestyle and message must match for effective witness. And that, that matters whether you're talking about the area of sexuality, whether you're talking about the way that you manage your money, whether the way you treat your neighbors. Your lifestyle and your message must go together. That's what Paul was telling the Thessalonica church. He was saying you need to live in such a way that people can see the love of God in you. They can see the message of the gospel in you. And they will pay attention. And so I, I tell you today that we live in a culture that disrespects God. But that doesn't mean that we should just go along with anything that they say. We need to be the ones that stand up and say we are the ones that are respecting the Lord God Almighty and His ways. We are the ones that know what Jesus Christ is as the way, the truth, and the life. And so we need to tell people that both with our words and with our actions. And so I suggest these things. As we're living within this culture that we find ourselves in these days, we need to practice these things. First of all, being connected to God. We can't let other people do this for us. We need to be the ones that will pray, read the Word, and worship. And you are certainly here today not only to take it in from someone else, but to be a participant in the midst of what worship is here. And that matters. 
And we need to continue to do that from day to day that we would, we would press into knowing God and being connected with Him. We need to be dedicated to a moral lifestyle. And that is about following God's commands. If we know what the commands of God are, then we need to do them. Right? Whether that is being a person of integrity, not cheating someone else. There's a whole bunch of sexual morals which we've already talked about in just brief manner today. But there's lots of different areas of life that God speaks into. And as we read His Word, He helps us understand those things. We need to do them. We need to be forgiving toward those that are struggling with sin. Certainly when I make mistakes and I sin, I go to God and say, God, I screwed up. Will you forgive me? I need to be that way towards others because we realize that no one is perfect. And when we make mistakes, when we come to God, when we come towards one another to embrace each other and help, then we are showing the love of God. We need to be a forgiving people. And lastly, we need to be active in bringing blessing into society through moral living. And I really believe this is true. That when we follow the Lord Jesus Christ and we live in such a way that honors Him, we bring God's blessing with us. Now, that matters if, if you're in a schoolroom and they're not understanding who God is, they may be teaching some other things that are not about godly living. You automatically bring the presence of Christ with you into that place. There's a different kind of blessing that comes about from you being there. That happens in the workplace. When you bring the blessing of God with you into your workplace, you make a difference. And so as more and more people call on the name of the Lord, live in a godly way, we influence the culture as a whole. By the godliness, we're not only willing to talk about, but also to live. Now, this was Israel's experience. And I'm going to close the message today just by talking a little bit about what happened to the people of Israel when they were exiled to Babylon. They didn't want to go and live in Babylon. There was a lot of people that were very godly leaders and they didn't want to be exiled to Babylon for 70 years. But God had so spoken through the prophet Jeremiah that they would be subject to 70 years of exile because of the sin of the nation. And within that exile, they were sent into other cities. There is a small amount of people that were left in Jerusalem and in Israel, but they were dispersed in different places, and they, often a number of the leaders, went to serve the kings and the people of Babylon. They lived in an immoral culture. They lived in an idolatrous culture. If you just read through the book of Daniel and discover what he went through, you realize that it was hard to live in the midst of that place that did not honor God, that had all kinds of different worship practices, but God was with them and spoke to them. And this is what the prophet Jeremiah said to the people of Israel as they were going into exile. He said, This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem, build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce, marry and have children, then find spouses for them 
so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away, and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I send you into exile. Pray for, pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare, and de- for its welfare will determine your welfare. The people of Israel were told by the prophet Jeremiah, you're going to go into this pagan culture and God wants them to pray for the city. God wants them to seek for prosperity and peace and that He would be with them in the midst of that. And I know that there are many Christians that are wounded and sorrowful over the state of our country and where we have come from and where we've ended up now. But I believe it's a relevant word that God is speaking in a similar way. We have some responsibility to live within our culture, pagan though it may be, different idols that are happening within our culture. We need to seek the peace and prosperity of the city which we have found ourselves. We need to pray to God for it. You know, Daniel did that, became a godly leader within the midst of a very ungodly culture. Esther was there doing the same thing, a woman of virtue who was living in such a way as to be the one that God called. Nehemiah was a leader who had to deal with the leaders of various parts of Babylon in order to see people restored to the, nation of, or to the city of Jerusalem. And he prayed through every decision. Every time he faced opposition, he was praying, asking God, am I doing the right thing? Am I going the right way? This is good advice which we need to take to heart. We need to continue to serve the Lord where we are and seek the Lord's understanding, blessing, help in the midst of where we are to work for the peace and prosperity of the city, to pray for the city. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Will you stand with me this morning? The Thessalonian believers were challenged by the Apostle Paul to come together and be an example, be a witness to the culture around them. And I'm telling you today, I'm challenging you today that we need to be an example and a witness to the culture that we live in. Father God, we want to thank you today for helping us as we go through this book of 1 Thessalonians and understand that there were so many issues that they were dealing with. And yet you challenged them to be faithful, you challenged them to be godly. God, the message is clear for us that we need to do the same that we need to live in such a godly way to please you, that we would represent you well to others that are within our culture and community, regardless of what they think or what their practices are. God, we pray that you would lead us in a godly way and you would bring your blessing not only into our lives and in our families' lives, but God, you would spread that blessing out through our culture, that they may know you God, we want them to know you. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.